This episode may be supported by advertising depending on your location. Um, no, actually, so I have seven. Um, and it's quite sad that seven masks isn't enough for the amount of names. So um, hopefully I'll get to the finals and you can see all of them. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Today, news editor Joel Tanzi discusses the impact of Naomi Osaka's support for Black Lives Matter at the US Open last month and what a new wave of activism in sports might mean for the Tokyo Olympics next summer. Joel Tanzi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for having us in your kitchen today to record this episode. It's a, it's a special one. <laughs> Very unique uh, studio up here in Adachi Ward. So we, we last spoke about Naomi Osaka back in January 2019. It was actually episode six of the podcast, which feels like a whole lifetime ago. And at that point, she'd become world number one. But there was also a lot of controversy around an advert that one of her sponsors, Nissin, the noodle maker, had put out, which effectively whitewashed her. A lot's happened in that time. So maybe you can update us quickly on everything that's transpired since that last podcast. Wow, the last two years in the life of Naomi Osaka. Um, been quite the journey for her. I think that after the Australian Open win in uh, 2019, which was when we last uh, spoke about her, um, she's had a lot going on on the court and off the court more recently. Last year was really not a great year for her on the court. She uh, she very much struggled after that Australian Open. I think it was a you know the weight of expectations on her as a, as the world number one at that time, and uh, and she really struggled. She had a you know she had a first round exit at Wimbledon. She she was crying in her news conference after that and had to had to leave um, early. Had to stop it early because she just couldn't continue, and it was just a very emotional time for her. And she's, um, she's incredibly young as well, right? She's, even now she's 22, so she would have been 20, 21 when she became world's number one. Yeah, it's important to remember how much was happening for her and how quickly it was happening. You know, she went from, you know, kind of a, not an obscure name in the tennis world, but certainly not a household name in the, in the, to the general public to, uh, you know, this worldwide superstar, you know, in Japan and the US and Europe. And uh, it was a lot for her, I think. It turned around late last year on the court for her with the win in Osaka, where she was born. She won a tournament in Beijing after that. And this year has been a bit odd with the pandemic, of course, not many tournaments, but you can see that she's very much back on top of her game. Mm, and she, well, she's a success in all sorts of reasons. She just won the US Open, but I think in 2019, she was estimated as the world's highest paid female athlete. And I think it's why that's an important point to raise is that it shows the extent of her profile now. And in the context of the discussion we're about to have, how effective she is when she lends her voice to a cause like Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I mean, absolutely that her being the highest paid athlete shows, you know, how strong she is on the court, but also it shows her drawing power off the court. I think it's fair to say that she's one of the most famous female athletes on the planet and one of the most famous athletes in general. And over the last six months or so, Naomi Osaka has become increasingly involved with the Black Lives Matter movement and the real standout moment or certainly the moment that attracted the most attention was at the US Open last month. But when did that activism begin for her? Yeah, I mean, after George Floyd was killed, you know, we, we saw all the protests, uh, you know, around the United States and then around the world. 
And, you know, she wasn't someone who was just behind her computer commenting on things, as, as many people do. You know, she actually went to Minneapolis in the days after the killing and was there for the protests. You know, this is amid a pandemic. This is, you know, I'm sure I'm sure there were people, even part of her team, who said, you know, we were worried about your health and we're worried about, you know, we want you to be ready when tennis starts. But, you know, this was something that she obviously felt a really strong urge to do and a really a need to do. And, uh, yeah, she actually went to Minneapolis to join in this protest. And, um, you know, it continued for her on social media. And yeah, I mean, there was there was plenty of support for her, but she also faced a lot of backlash and a lot of people telling her that, you know, as an athlete, she should just be quiet and play tennis. And mm. if you're telling, you know, Naomi Osaka that, I think that's not going to go well for you. And she's <laughs> she's been very vocal about how she's not just an athlete, she's also a human being who has a conscience. Yes, and on a personal level, she's had to deal with race and issues surrounding her race for a long time, certainly ever since she entered the public spotlight. You know, the last podcast we did about her, we were talking about Nissan, her sponsor, and how they whitewashed her in that ad with Kei Nishikori. Yeah, um, one aspect, I mean, in addition to the Nissan advertisement, another instance in, in Japan where she's faced racial discrimination was a couple of comedians telling you know, in a routine telling Naomi Osaka that she should buy some bleach for her skin. It's too dark. She's too, she's too suntanned. And, uh, I mean, you don't need to, you don't need me to explain to you the problems with, with that kind of, you know, joke, quote unquote, you know, she's, she's handled all of that with, with grace. And, you know, she's very much, um, I think got a lot of admiration from a lot of people for the way she's handled those kind of incidents. One of the tweets that, that she sent out, it was during the U.S. Open. It was after she wore a mask with the name uh, Trayvon Martin on it. And for me, this really showed me that, you know, she has faced this kind of discrimination in the past. And she's been scared because of, you know, the violence against uh, black people in the U.S. especially. You know, here's the tweet. Um, I remember Trayvon's death clearly. I remember being a kid and just feeling scared. I know his death wasn't the first. But for me, it was the one that opened my eyes to what was going on. To see the same things happening over and over is still is sad. Things have to change. I mean, that was a very powerful um, tweet for her and a very personal tweet that um, I feel um, really shows you know, what she has faced as, as a black woman. Over the summer, she was increasingly active talking about Black Lives Matter and she was very supportive of the Black Lives Matter marches and movement that took place in Japan, the one in Osaka in particular, I know she tweeted about. But when did Naomi Osaka first bring that activism to the court? Was it with the US Open last month? Well, I, I would go back just a little bit before the US Open even and say that, you know, even in the tournament just prior to the US Open, there was uh, protests going on about uh, the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. And uh, Naomi Osaka took a stand on her own in the tennis world and said that I'm withdrawing from, it's called the Western and Southern Open. It's the, basically the big U.S. Open tune-up. And she said, I'm withdrawing from this tournament. I'm not going to play um, while all this is going on. It's not right for me to be playing tennis when, when this stuff is happening in, you know, in the world. And uh, at, this, at that time, uh, NBA athletes were having similar protests and MLB athletes. But I think it's very 
very important to note that Naomi Osaka did this on her own in an individual sport. You know, it wasn't a team that was protesting, you know, not, not to take anything away from the, the brave NBA players who did the same, but she was out there on her own saying, I'm, I'm out of this tournament. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that's a moment that really showed me, especially how, how socially responsible she is as an athlete and as a person. Um, yeah, I mean, so for me, during the entire quarantine, I was seeing a lot of things happening. Um, and I always thought in my mind it would be nice if someone started something in tennis. Um, and honestly, I'm more of a follower <laughs> than a leader. Um, and I, I like to follow things. So I was just waiting and waiting. But then I just realized that maybe um, I would have to be the one to take the first step. The tournament ended up canceling the day's play for an entire day because of the stand that she took. Oh, wow. Now, this is the men's side and the women's side of the tournament. And, uh, you know, she eventually actually returned to that tournament. They they kind of urged her to come back. You know, we've we've understood your message, I, I think was the underlying message anyway. We, we understood your stand and we've paused play for an entire day and, you know, now we'd like you to return to the court. And she did return, I think, maybe somewhat reluctantly, but she did go back to the tournament. But it's just an incredibly brave stand for an athlete, I think. Uh, and getting back to maybe the original question about the U.S. Open and, you know, that activism obviously continued. And we all saw, you know, how she came out in her very first match wearing a mask with the name Brianna Taylor uh, written on it. Um, for those who might not know, Brianna Taylor was a woman who was killed by police in Kentucky earlier this year, a black woman, of course, because, you know, all of the masks that she wore were um, names of black people who had been subject to discrimination and police brutality. You know, she didn't really say much about it uh, unless she was asked. Like, it was just like something that she decided to do, I think, on her own and maybe with consultation with her team. But, you know, whenever she was asked about the stance that she was taking, you know, it was very clear to everyone that what she wanted was for people to start a conversation about these names. You said from the beginning you had seven matches, seven masks, seven names. What was the message you wanted to send, Naomi? Um, well, what was the message that you got was more the question. I feel like the point is to make people start talking. You know, these names were 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 people you know they were they were sons and daughters and you know they were mothers and fathers and you know it was very clear that she wanted to start this conversation more broadly and around the world and i think it's a recognition from her that she has this major platform this major following and she has this ability to influence a little bit on what people think about and and what people discuss it's a very powerful move as well because you know, sports has been very difficult to resume this year with the pandemic going on. And one of the most noticeable things immediately is the fact that athletes arrive wearing masks and when they're not playing or performing, they are wearing masks the whole time. And that is such an immediately obvious thing on, on an athlete's face. So to have the name of someone who'd been killed by the police so prominently is, is obviously a, a, a very powerful move. Absolutely. I mean, the masks are very much a symbol of 2020, aren't they? And, you know, this is kind of one of the uh, prevailing, you know, images of the U.S. Open now, I think, is, is Naomi coming out and, and wearing masks of different names. Mm. And she said, right, that she had seven masks 
with seven names for seven matches, which is so seven matches would lead her to winning the US Open. So I don't think she knew at that point she would go on to win it, but was certainly prepared to if, if it came to that. Yeah, after the first round, she said she had seven different masks prepared with seven names. And she's she said, you know, sadly, that's not not nearly enough masks, not nearly enough rounds. Uh, I noticed the mask. Brianna Taylor. Are we going to see more different names or is this the name that you're going to come out with every night? Um, no, actually, so I have seven. Um, and it's quite sad that seven masks isn't enough for the amount of names. So um, hopefully I'll get to the finals and you can see all of them. She had a mask for every round. And of course, we all know now that she made it all the way to the final and showed us each one of those names. And after one of the matches, she they actually broadcast messages from Sabrina Fulton, who's the mother of Trayvon Martin, and Marcus Arbery, father of Ahmed Arbery, who were expressing their support and gratitude towards Naomi Osaka for wearing their children's names on her masks at such a high-profile event. Quite an emotional moment, for sure, and, you know, an emotional interview to see Osaka, you know, realise the impact of what she was doing on the families of, of the victims. I just want to say thank you um, to Naomi Osaka for representing Trayvon Martin on your customized mask and also uh, for Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Continue to do well. Continue to, to kick butt at the U.S. Open. Thank you. We'll be back after this. This episode of Deep Dive is brought to you by Democrats Abroad. Democrats Abroad is a volunteer organisation that helps Americans overseas register to vote. You've heard them on this podcast before, and they've got an important message to share. Deadlines to request your absentee ballot for the upcoming US election are fast approaching. Many states have a deadline of October 17th. That's this Saturday. So if you haven't requested your ballot yet, get on it now. To make it easy for you, Democrats Abroad has a useful little website to generate the form to request your ballot from overseas, regardless of your political party. Just go to votefromabroad.org and follow the simple instructions to request your ballot now. Votefromabroad.org makes the ballot request process quick and easy, so if you need to vote from overseas, go to votefromabroad.org. Remember, those deadlines are looming. If you haven't requested your ballot yet, do it today. The link can be found in the show notes. Naomi Osaka is a Japanese athlete. She has a Japanese passport. She would play for Japan at the Olympics. So I think it is important to put her actions in that context as well. How have her actions been received by Japanese fans, politicians, media, her sponsors even? Well, as always, I think there's there's kind of been you know, mixed reactions. I think it's important to stress that there's been a lot of support amongst the Japanese public for what she's done. I think that, you know, as evidence of the conversations that she started was the fact that there was, you know, segments on Japanese TV discussing each one of the names of the people that she wore under her mask. Those discussions, you know, on, on news programs just wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for Osaka's activism. I mean, of course, lots of U.S. news makes its way into Japan, but to have those deep discussions on each one of those names, I think, was an eye-opener for a lot of people. And that's absolutely something that she did. 
And what was the reaction to her like online? You know, on, on Twitter, there's always there's always vocal people on Twitter who um, are going to find any little thing to criticize someone for. And Osaka is no exception. She's been told, you know, to be quiet and play tennis in much stronger language than I just used. You know, a lot of Japanese don't really see athletes as someone who should be taking stands like this. They should be athletes who go about their business and play their sport and hopefully win. And at the end of the day, stay out of any kind of, you know, movements or things like that. How has she responded to that criticism that she's faced? She must be pretty well practiced by now. Yeah, I mean, something that's that's come not just from Japanese fans, of course, it's come from American fans and, you know, European fans. I think I think all of her answers to the criticism, you know, she's always had a lot of class in her responses. Right after the US Open, she said, all the people that were telling me to keep politics out of sports really inspired me to win. You better believe I'm going to try to be on your TV for as long as possible. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can't help but admire that kind of answer. And uh, it's a classic judo move to her. Uh... Absolutely. Use your enemies' weight and energy against them. (laughs) For sure, yeah. (laughs) And what's the reaction been like from her sponsors? Have they been supportive or pretty tight-lipped on the issue? Her sponsors have... There was a Mainichi, an article in the Mainichi Shimbun newspaper. And, uh, you know, some of her sponsors are very much trying to keep her away from this kind of thing. Just, Mm. you know, they want to see her out there winning tennis tournaments and wearing apparel with their company logo on it and not so much wearing a mask with someone's name on it. It's uh, I guess it's it's easier for them if she's not seen as political in any way. I think they, they would like to see her be some neutral, you know, athlete with a with a big personality, but maybe not taking these kind of stands against racism, which I mean, as absurd as that sounds that I mean, I think that is the reality for some of these corporate sponsors. And, you know, maybe maybe more more so even in Japan, because, as I said, you know, I think Japanese athletes have long been shy about taking these kind of uh, stands. Yeah, it's interesting looking kind of at the sporting landscape more generally in Japan, I think it has been notably devoid of any kind of protest. There are plenty of biracial and um, non-Japanese athletes in the Japanese sporting leagues. And, and while people have spoken about issues of race, um, there's not been any kind of mass protest or demonstration like we've seen from athletes in the US. Yeah. So Naomi Osaka is a, a real exception here. Yeah, our colleague uh, Kaz Nagatsuka wrote an excellent piece about the Black Lives Matter movement amongst the in the Japanese sports world and, uh, you know, kind of centered on this very emotional Twitter post by a uh, Rakuten Golden Eagles outfielder, Louis Okoe. And he, he really described a lot of the prejudice that he faced growing up in Japan. Um, he was born to a Japanese mother and a Nigerian father. I, th- I think, I mean, if you're looking at it from an optimistic lens, I think the, you know, the increased prevalence of biracial athletes uh, uh, from Japan, you know, Osaka's one, um, Hachimura, Washington Wizards uh, basketball player is another, you know, these these athletes are, I think, showing people that, you know, what it means to be Japanese is, uh, you know, it's changing very rapidly, I think. I noticed that the new prime minister's statement on Osaka's victory at the US Open was pretty vague on any mention of Black Lives Matter or anything like that. 
in fact, it just ignored it entirely. It just said, congratulations, it was a full set comeback from behind and you never gave up to the end. Thanks for inspiring us. Very much, very much a flat take on, on, you know, a normal year. I mean, that's a great congratulatory message, but this was not anything but a normal year, you know. So, yeah, it is it is interesting to see that, you know, there wouldn't be any discussion there about all of the off-court stuff that Japan should be really proud of, I think. So I think all of this moves into a very interesting conversation about the Olympics, which in theory are still supposed to go ahead in summer of 2021. Prime Minister Suga and Tokyo Governor Koike have been very, very pro-Olympics recently and said they're going to go ahead no matter the cost. So assuming the Olympics take place next summer, might we see this kind of activism extend into the Olympics? Well, it's a tricky question because the Olympics, uh, as you noted, have long you know, tried to stay away from anything that could be remotely seen as political. And, you know, there, I think there's a broader question, as we've said, you know, whether this is even political. I mean, to me, it's just human rights. But they, they in their charter, I mean, I'll read it to you here. No kind of demonstration or political, religious or racial propaganda is permitted in any Olympic sites, venues or other areas. You know, it's right there in the charter. It kind of spells out that demonstrations are not allowed. And I think what you saw with Osaka, I think you could call that a demonstration. Now, how popular would the would it be for the Olympics to say, no, Naomi, you can't wear these masks or you can't speak out about, you know, racism? I, I, I hope and I feel that we're at a point where, you know, we're realizing now that we we just can't keep this swept under the rug. This is a very big worldwide issue and it's not something that we can just hide. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think the situation is made more confusing by the different statements that have come from members of the International Olympic Committee. Uh, the president, Thomas Black, for example, said that the Olympics are not and must never be a platform to advance political or any other divisive ends. But more recently, just this month, actually, Seb Coe, who is an elected member of the International Olympic Committee and the president of World Athletics, said in a statement that I've been very clear that if an athlete chooses to take the knee on a podium, then I'm supportive of that. So we have heard quite differing opinions on the issue from members of the International Olympic Committee, the organizing body of the Olympics. Yeah, I think it, I think we should just note that box comments were in January 2020. I think even in, even on that short amount of time, I think that the climate of, you know, athlete protests have changed quite a bit. But, you know, a lot of decisions maybe still to be made from the IOC on what will be allowed and what won't be. And I, I don't know how they can navigate this kind of climate. Yeah, and I'm imagining Japan will want the games to go ahead with as few potential problems or hitches or political demonstrations as, as possible. No doubt about that. They'll want the focus to be on, on Japan's hosting of the games. And I don't know if there are people out there that would see it as a distraction wouldn't be an opinion that I would hold, but we already talked about, you know, sponsors that just want the focus to be on the sporting events. You know, I think Japan, as the, the Olympic stakeholder, will want the focus to be on the, the games and the athletes themselves and their performances. I think that there's also some tricky geopolitical waters that might need to be navigated with with regards to any kind of protest, because if you if you do 
allow Black Lives Matter um, protests? Will you then allow, you know, maybe a Hong Kong athlete who, I mean, they compete separately from China. Will you allow a Hong Kong athlete to make a political stand? Will you allow, you know, athletes to take stands against the treatment of Uyghurs in China or the treatment of uh, Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar? The Olympics, I don't think, want to venture into that territory. The next games, you know, after the Tokyo Games would be the Beijing Winter Games. And it would be a very slippery slope if they were to start allowing um, protests and I think that's what a lot of people in the IOC are probably worried about right now. And coming back to the idea of backlash, I think there'll be backlash in, in whatever case. If, if protests are allowed to go ahead and demonstrations are allowed to take place, then I think a lot of people and nations will probably be very vehemently against that. But if the Olympic Organising Committee come out and say Black Lives Matter can't have a voice here or any kind of platform here, then there'll be a huge amount of protests in the opposite direction. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you look at the treatment of uh, John Carlos and Tommy Smith after they raised their fists on the podium in Mexico City. The United States leads the Olympics in medal awards and is just about supreme in the sprint races thanks to men like Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Yesterday, they came in first and third in the 200-meter dash and then stood on the victory platform with bowed heads wearing black socks and gloves in a racial protest. And they were ostracized completely from the Olympics. There's no way that they could do that to, say, a Naomi Osaka now and not face massive backlash from people and sponsors. From the IOC's perspective, even more importantly, would be the sponsors. Can you imagine trying to keep Naomi Osaka quiet as well? I mean, you could almost picture a world where... You know, if she's not allowed to protest in the way that she wants at the Olympics, does she does she participate? This is, you know, this would be pure speculation on my part, but she has left the tournament before because out of protest. I think it's in the realm of possibilities where she would refuse to play. The IOC have said they'll announce their policy on protests and demonstrations in March of 2021, so a little bit before the Tokyo Olympics are scheduled to take place. But clearly, whatever happens it's going to be a very interesting year for the olympics yeah to say the least i think that you know the we've certainly seen protests at the olympics and on the world stage um, the world athletic stage in the past but i think that this year feels a little bit different in the sense that athletes are very much seeing that they have a social responsibility to stand up for what they believe in and to make their voice heard and it'll be very interesting to see how the ioc handles that joel tanzi thank you very much Thank you. That was Joel Tanzi. My thanks to him and his wonderful gravelly voice. There's a load of stuff that's been written about the issues we've discussed in today's episode that's all up on the Japan Times website, including two fantastic articles by Bae McNeil and Kaz Nagatsuka on Naomi Osaka, Black Lives Matter and how it relates to sports in Japan. I really recommend going and checking those out and links as always are in the show notes. Our sponsor today was Democrats Abroad Japan. Please do check them out. Otherwise, until next time, thanks as always for listening and a big podskado summer.